Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 1, and we'll read the whole of the psalm, all, all six verses of it. So Psalm 1. Now for many of us, the psalms have become uh, a favorite part of the Bible. Uh, they often reflect uh, the different situations that we face in life. So there is difficulty and, and danger, there is sickness, there is death, there is failure, there is sin, there is repentance, there is restoration. There are times when we plead with God for his help in, in times of trouble. And one Bible scholar has said, every psalm seems to have my name and address on it. There is a, a timeless quality to, to many of the psalms, which is why we are able to use many of the psalms as our personal prayers. And then there are the psalms of praise and worship. Psalms that focus on the greatness of God, the majesty, the might of God, and that show us that he is worthy of our praise and adoration. And, and down through the ages, many of the Psalms, many of the hymn writers, they have drawn on the Psalms for the inspiration of their hymns. So the Psalms, in a way, are the, the prayer book and the hymn book of the Old Testament. So the Hebrew word Psalms literally means songs of praise. It's also been said that the Psalms are the whole Bible in miniature. Martin Luther said, the Psalms are the Bible within the Bible. They cover many of the events of the Old Testament. They certainly point forward to the New Testament, to Christ. And maybe... This is why the Psalms are, are, are often the most quoted book within the New Testament, especially by Jesus himself. He quotes time and time again from the Psalms. And as we prepare to read this, you'll notice that there is no title to Psalm 1. So most of the Psalms have a title, possibly they tell us who wrote the book and why they wrote that particular chapter. Psalm 1 doesn't have a, a title. It's one of 34 psalms that doesn't. And, and for that reason, those, those 34 psalms are known as the orphan psalms. Psalms that don't have uh, a title. So let's read uh, the first of these orphan psalms, 1 to 6 of the first one. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. 
not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, maybe as, as that psalm was being uh, read, you'll notice that in general the psalm is divided into two halves. So verses 1 to 3 primarily deal with the way of the righteous. So they describe what the believer is like. And then verses 4 to 6 mainly deal with the unrighteous and what will happen to them. So you've got a psalm that describes two contrasting groups of people. The righteous and the wicked. And every person in the world belongs to one of those two groups. In fact, the first word of the psalm and the last word of the psalm sum up these two different groups of people. So the first word of verse 1, blessed or blessed. And the last word of verse 6, perish. Now our focus this morning is, is mainly going to be on verses 1 to 3 uh, and the character of the, the righteous. But that's, that's what this psalm is summing up here. The blessed and those who will perish. The righteous and the unrighteous. Now what about this, this first word in verse 1, blessed? How blessed do you feel this morning? We are blessed with health to be here. We are blessed physically, materially. <laughs> but when you get to Ephesians 1 and you look at our spiritual blessings in Christ, wow, forgiven, redeemed, Adopted in him, the Holy Spirit lives within. And as Christians, we are the most blessed people on the planet. So how blessed do you feel this morning? Now what does that word blessed mean? It's, it's a word that we use a lot. But the literal translation of that word blessed is approved by God. So, approved by God is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, and does not sit in the seat of mockers. I think the Good News translation has the words, happy are those. But it's actually more than just being happy. Approved by God is the person. And if you look at the verbs that are being used in verse 1, the verbs that are being used are this. Walk, stand, and sit. And there seems to be a downward spiral of movement in those three images. 
It's as though the wicked person settles into sin by stages. So first, someone influenced by the wicked, he walks with the wicked, he, he mixes with them. And then having been influenced by them as he walks with them, he stops and he stands with them, he identifies with them. And then he gets comfortable with them. He sits down. That there is a sense of belonging. But, says this verse, blessed, approved by God, is the person who does not walk, stand, or sit with such people. Now that doesn't mean that we, that we don't have anything to do with those who are not saved. Don't hear me say that. It's, it's blessed is the person who does not identify and get influenced by and begins to walk with those people. I guess within the context of our culture today, we could put it like this. Blessed is the person who doesn't allow the world to squeeze them into its mold. And I think that in today's society, that can become increasingly hard to do. The pressure to live in the way of sinners in this world is massive. Some of those pressures are blatant, they're obvious. Some of them are more subtle. And so as we, as we watch the TV, as, we, as we're on the internet, as we're using social media, we are constantly being pressured to live and to think and to say particular things. And some of those ways are certainly not biblical. So blessed is the person who is countercultural, who dares to be different, who doesn't go with the flow, and who stands up for what is godly. And instead, verse 2, delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Now, if you were reading this in, in the original Hebrew, the word law there is actually Torah. Torah. And that word means instruction. We often use the word Torah to describe the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and that's, that is the term that is used for those first five books. But the word Torah also has a, a wider context. And in the context of this psalm, it refers to the whole of God's word, God's instruction, our doctrine, etc. So blessed is the man or woman who delights in the word of God, who delights in his instruction. Um, and I'm sure that we all know of people who delight in God's word. Now, over the years, I've become an avid reader of biographies of David Livingstone. Born in Scotland, came to Africa. In fact, his entry point into Africa in the 1840s was Cape Town. And then he worked his way uh, up into Africa. 
And I, I lived in Tanzania with my wife uh, as missionaries for seven and a half years. And I was able to visit many of the places that, that Livingstone uh, visited. And to say that this man, when, when you read biographies of his life, to say that he was devoted and delighted in God's word is an understatement. Listen to this quote. During one period of Livingstone's ministry, he was so wearied from his efforts that he had a physical breakdown. He was covered in sores and ulcers. Many of his teeth fell out. He was confined to bed for 80 days. Nevertheless, in that period of enforced rest, he read the Bible through four times. In 80 days, whilst he was sick. Is it any wonder that a man who delighted in God's word was used by God to open up Africa to the gospel? Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Now that, that might be all well and good for, for Christian heavyweights like Livingstone. But what about us? Do we value God's word? That might seem an obvious, might be an obvious answer to that within a church setting, but do we truly value the Word of God? Do we delight in God's Word? And I guess if we're honest, we'd have to say no. Certainly not all the time. We all know that spending time in the Bible can be hard going. It can be a battle. Or am I the only one? <laughs> it can be a battle. Even though we affirm the value of God's word, even though we know that it has the power to quench our thirsty souls, to, to instruct us, to inspire us, we often fail to delight in it. We know it's important, but... We're too busy, we're too tired, and if we're honest, we'd, we'd rather spend time scrolling through our phones or watching TV. Now, I don't say that to make you feel guilty, but I say that because that is often the reality. It is a battle to delight in God's word. And if we're going to win through, then reading God's word is something that we have to work at. Now, in many ways, this is nothing new. You will have heard this before. A couple of practical suggestions for those who might be struggling in this area. Have a Bible reading plan of some sort. And many of you will have. Don't just flip through your Bible and read whatever page you happen to land on. Put some structure into your reading. Uh, some people find it useful to have uh, daily Bible reading notes. Other people prefer to read through the Bible using a particular plan during a year. And I, actually at the, back, at the back of the church, um, 
there is a bookmark-sized leaflet there that has a Bible reading plan for the year. A couple of chapters a day. Um, So please feel free to take one of them uh, afterwards if you want to. Do you know, sometimes I find myself going to another version of the Bible. Sometimes we become so familiar with the version that we, that we read that it's often useful to, to just have a look at another version and it maybe gives a fresh perspective. Arrange to meet up with someone to read through chapters of the Bible together. There's an accountability there are so many different ways, but, but the thing is, make it a priority to delight in God's word. Uh, you might have heard of the Bible teacher Alistair Begg. I found uh, this quote useful. This is what he says. On some days, you may find reading God's word a delight. On other days, it may be done more out of duty. But to read it every day is essential. Think of it like exercise. If you're a runner, there are times when you're running and it feels amazing. But there are times when it feels like a tiresome effort and you have to push through. Most of us will not tumble out of our beds each morning thinking how fantastic our time in God's word is going to be. And if we come to the scriptures thinking that we ought to get a blessing every time we open them, we will be disappointed. Yes, there will be times of delight, but don't worry if those times don't come every day, but make a commitment to turn to your Bible every day because God's word is living, it is active, and it will be doing its work in you in a far deeper way than you realize. So blessed are those who delight in God's word. But there's something else. The second half of verse 2. Blessed are those who meditate on it day and night. Now what does that mean? To meditate on God's word. Now meditation, certainly in the West, is, is one of those words that is very much in vogue at the moment. So a common form of secular meditation might be to sit or to kneel for a set amount of time and you do your best to empty your mind and you breathe in and out slowly and you empty your mind of of distracting thoughts. Biblical meditation, on the other hand, is the opposite. It calls for thinking. It calls for feeling far more than posture and breathing. In fact, the focus is not on our breathing. It is on the, the breath of God. It is on the breathing, the breathed out word of God. So we take time to reflect on God's breathed out word until our hearts begin to warm. Ever been in that position where you're reading God's word and all of a sudden... This verse is speaking directly to you and you feel your heart strangely warmed. It's taking the time to reflect. And I think it's important to say that 
that meditation, biblical meditation, is different simply to reading God's word. So they're not one and the same thing. One commentator I read makes this helpful distinction. If Bible reading brings us beneath the stars, meditation puts our eye to the telescope and it causes us to study a particular constellation. Meditation begins when we pause over a particular glory and we begin to ponder. So we are to drink in the truths of God's word. We are to savor them. And then we are to speak them out. (laughs) So the word meditate literally means to mutter or to murmur. So it actually reflects a vocal activity rather than just a silent reading. So to meditate on scripture is to think over it, it is to ponder it, let it sink in, and then to mutter it out. Now what do I, what do I mean by that? Now, nowadays, most people have sat-nav in their cars. But in the days when, when you didn't have sat-nav and you were in a strange place and you got lost, you'd stop in your car... I was about to say you'd wind down the window, but nowadays you press a button and you'd speak to someone who you presume is local and can direct you to the place that you want to go. And so as he's speaking to you and saying, okay, go up the road for 500 yards, take the second on the right and then go left and straight on for another 100 yards. As he's giving you those directions, you find yourself sometimes muttering those instructions after him. And then when he's gone and you begin to move off, you you mutter those instructions again and again so that they lodge within your brain. It's a bit like that with biblical meditation. We are to mutter and murmur verses of scripture so that they become lodged in our memories so that we can then find comfort and strength at any time of the day or the night. And so the word of God releases its flavor as we chew on it. We mutter, we murmur those verses that have been lodged in our mind. Now, how do, we, how do we go about meditating on the Word of God? And the first thing that needs to be said is that it does require discipline. It requires hard work. Because we all know that meditating, for instance, on the love of God very quickly becomes a meditation on what we're going to have for lunch. Or... How many emails I've got to write? Ever been there? It's the same with prayer. When we settle down to read God's word, we settle down to pray, quite often the most random things come in and try and take over. Oh, I just need to go and do that. And before you know it, that time is gone. It does take discipline. We can become easily distracted. And so in setting time aside to read God's word and to meditate on it, focus and resolve is needed. Psalm 119 verse 15. 
you get the feeling that there is a, a resolve from the psalmist here. I will meditate on your laws. I will fix my eyes on your ways. So there has to be a determination to do this. We can pray through verses that we're reading. We can memorize scripture. We can write out verses that we're reading. As we write them down, uh, our focus is on the actual words. We might read the verse repeatedly, emphasizing one word, and then repeat the verse and emphasize another word. Again, so that it becomes lodged in our mind. Blessed are those who meditate on God's word. And then as we close, briefly, verse 3. You'll notice that the person who delights and meditates on God's word, what are they like? They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And so this is the picture of someone who bases their lives on the word of God. There is stability. There is vitality because those roots are soaking up God's word. There is productivity. There is durability. Leaves don't wither during times of hardship. The winds may blow. The droughts may come. But the leaves remain green because of the fact that that person is rooted in God and his word. And I wonder, have you ever observed someone who is going through a time of crisis? The situation is awful, but they seem to be doing so well. And people ask, how is it going through what they're going through, they seem to be doing so well? They are rooted in the word of God. Doesn't mean that they don't feel the pain. Doesn't mean that they don't struggle. But their leaf remains green. I well remember, well, maybe 30 odd years ago now. We lived in North Wales. But we used to go uh, to the mountains of Scotland once a year. And there would be 30 people who were gathered from various churches and we'd go up for a week, we'd walk the mountains and one of the members of this group was the pastor of the church. He was there with, with his family during the week and what we would do, we would go up, we would go up and, and, and walk our separate mountains in small groups and then we'd meet together of an evening at a restaurant and we'd talk about the adventures of the day. And then one evening, there was a commotion around one of the tables. Chairs were being pushed back. And the wife of the pastor, who was just about to retire, was lying on the floor having had a heart attack. And CPR was being administered on this woman, and a, a, an ambulance was called, but she, she died on the way to hospital. Of course, we all went back to our, the place where we were staying, and, and we all gathered to pray for the pastor and the family uh, and the situation. 
And just as we were about to finish praying, the pastor walked in, returning from the hospital, where in effect he had said goodbye uh, to his wife. And I'll always remember the first words that he had to say. And, and as, a, as a teenager then, those words struck me. The first words he had to say was, God is good. God is good. And I thought, wow. To be able to say that at such a time. Here was a man who was like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf didn't wither when the winds began to blow. But, verse 4, it's not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. There is no stability. There isn't any fruit. There are no roots to hold them steady. And so that person is, is blown about by the wind. And if you look at verse 5, that person will certainly not survive the day of final judgment that is mentioned in verse 5. And that's why this psalm is to be taken so seriously. There's a solemn warning here. At the start, I, I said that the psalm describes two contrasting groups of people. The righteous and the wicked. The saved and the unsaved. The believer and the unbeliever. It's also a psalm that describes two different destinations. You've got heaven for the believer. And you've got the realities of hell for the unbeliever. And so this is a reminder to us this morning of the importance of belonging to those who are blessed and saved. And a reminder that the alternative is belonging to a group that will eventually perish. So let me leave you with an obvious question. Are you a member of the blessed? Or do you belong to the perishing? Is there business that you need to do with the Lord this morning? I think that's what the psalmist wants us to consider in this psalm. But it's also a psalm that encourages us to live a righteous and distinct lifestyle with a commitment to be a people, not of the world, but a people of the word. So let's make it our aim to be a people who say no to the world and yes to the word. Let's be a people that value God's word in a language that we can understand. Let's be a people that apply it to our lives, live it out so that the watching world looks on and sees Christ in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that we are here this morning, we can read your word, we can understand it, and I pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives and live it out. 
As James says, it's one thing to read it, it's another to put it into practice, and we need your strength to be able to put your word into practice. Father, because your word tells us how we can be saved, it has to be the most valuable thing that we own. Help us to treat it as such, to value your word, and to live it out, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.